Hello and welcome to Automators, the automation podcast about making all of your technology do everything for you so that you can just sit back and relax. That's how it works, right, David? Yeah. I mean, the robots are taking over. Just let them. Just accept it. Yeah. I mean, it works great for me. I, I come out after stand-up at work in the mornings and I, my robot has already mopped the kitchen and vacuumed it for me. And, you know, I just pop the mop heads off and it runs around the house and vacuums everything else. It's wonderful. I just have to remember not to leave socks on the floor. So, you know, it's training me. That's that's the bonus of automation, learning to do things in a more efficient manner. I was reading some futuristic sci-fi a few years ago. I don't remember the author, but one of the things that the uh, the sci-fi did, the, the artificial intelligence you carried around with you, which coincidentally was on your belt. That was the uh, the author's impression mm. of where this is all going. You put a supercomputer on your belt, but the uh, computer was telling its owner, oh yeah, I, I answered all your email this morning. And I got, you know, I went down that rabbit hole for a minute. What if computers answered our email and then your computer answer the email my computer sent you, how much email would get generated between us that neither of us had ever read? <laughs> you know, I don't okay, think that's so the answer. Okay, so I can answer this question. Okay. I, can, I can answer this question. Because what happens if you have an autoresponder emailing a ticket system that creates a new ticket for every email that's sent to it? Oh, that sounds like experience. <laughs> yeah, the the answer to this, folks, for those who aren't sure. So basically, a, a ticket system that reads emails is going to create tickets um, and if it just and if it's being sent new emails and it like there's no thread that it can follow, it's going to create a new ticket for every email and automatically send out an email. I have previously had experience with autoresponder is creating thousands of tickets and I've had to clear out that that fun in, in, in games uh, before. So the, the answer is if you leave it overnight, so many tickets that you don't want to know. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> well. it's, it's an awful lot. And, you know, let, let's face it, it's more fun to actually use our free time to communicate with each other and let the computers handle the boring menial tasks like, you know, when I start this focus mode, go do this thing for me or just give me this selection of options. I don't need 90 choices when I click on the shortcuts menu bar. I need five choices if I'm in my work focus mode and four choices if I'm in my podcasting mode and so on and so forth. I ha I have to think that uh, like 20 years from now, email will not be as big of a thing as it is now. And I'm not sure where it all goes, but hopefully we won't get into a future where we need computers to answer email for us. Although now that I think about it, Google is already doing some of that, don't they? They have some, some auto response stuff built into the Gmail system. Yeah, they do though. It's mostly sort of uh, predictive text. Yeah. Um, rather than uh, anything else. Um, so, you know, there's there's that element to it. But um, yeah, it's it's certainly uh, interesting. Whenever I see something like that, I'm always intrigued. You know, I, I don't use Gmail anymore, but I, I'm intrigued by things like that. I just wish that it wasn't built with lots and lots of creepy data. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of work on email recently because it is a friction point for me and I'm trying to get better at it, but also spend less time on it, which... Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like you should be able to do both, but I think I can. So I think maybe we'll do a show on that in the future. Like one of the the things that have really helped me is, you know, moving over to this new mail service because I've got all these rules I can do in the background that are in the cloud. And so I, I'm building up uh, some some email automation stuff that I should probably share at some point. Let, let's put a pin in that one. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to come back to that because it's uh, amazing what you can tie into email automation um, and uh, what you shouldn't tie into email automation. Number of times that I've seen something that's dependent on an email where maybe maybe you can just skip the email part of it and have two services talk to each other instead would be uh, 
much better. But, you know, you just go start with what you've got, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of things you've got, Rose has got a couple side hustles that have turned into stuff related to us automators. And I thought we yeah. should talk about it. Um, uh, so what has it been now, Rose? About six months, a year? You You have been secretly working in the background with a small company of friends called Snailed It. And you are now shipping some products. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm very fortunate that I've got many friends who are excellent at, at many things. Um, and uh, it turns out that a couple of them and I've founded a little company together where we're just building like our focus is uh, really technically it's supposed to be utility things that solve problems we have. It's accidentally ended up being automation utility things so far, but that's that's not going to necessarily be the requirement long term. Um, but yeah, so we've uh, taken over development of Pushcut. So we're working with Simon on Pushcut. Uh, Simon, we've had on the show before. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're working on that and we're adding some really cool features to it. And we just overhauled the website um, to actually make it much easier to find how you can use uh, the application. And we've also uh, launched our own app, which is called Focus Cuts for, uh, you know, focusing your shortcuts so that you don't have to, you know, upgrade to Mac OS Ventura to find out which focus mode you're in or uh, deal with all of your shortcuts just appear in the menu bar on every computer, even though maybe that's not necessarily the most relevant option for you. Yeah, so so this is an app that really works on getting the most out of shortcuts in combination with focus modes, which are mm-hmm. two things near and dear to my heart. Um the the app is now available. I uh, well, I think I I hope I was one of your first customers. As soon as it went out, I bought it. I think it's great. But tell us a little bit about how this came to be. I mean, uh, where'd you get the idea, and what was involved with the development? Yeah, so we got the idea actually for focus cuts in the first place because you couldn't get your focus mode in shortcuts. Now, if you're on iOS 16 or you're on macOS Monterey, that's still true. You definitely can't get your focus mode in shortcuts. Uh, iOS 16.1 and I believe the latest beta of macOS Ventura, though I'm not 100% certain on that and I need to double check, do have support for getting your current focus mode. But we quickly realized that it, like just getting your focus mode doesn't necessarily make things better. Um, because I know for me, I have my work laptop and I have my personal machines and I don't necessarily want the same shortcuts showing up in the menu bar on both of those machines. And then on top of that, I don't necessarily want the same shortcuts showing up while I'm working versus after work when I'm done with work and, you know, I'm sitting here podcasting. I want certain, uh, shortcuts to be available to me, but if I'm sitting here and I'm just, you know, doing whatever I want in my own time, then I want different shortcuts showing up. You know, I don't need the, hey, uh, you know, start the new timestamp and an audio recording shortcut to pop up. That's a bit overkill um, for just, you know, sitting sitting here, um, you know, chatting to friends or whatever I'm doing. So we, we realized that, you know, we had an, a, a golden opportunity here to take what shortcuts kind of already has, because shortcuts lets you put shortcuts in your menu bar and go, all automatory on it and focus on just the ones you want. So you can select a folder and add a folder or you can watch a folder, which means that the contents of that folder, as you put a new shortcut into that folder, it updates the available shortcuts to you in that focus mode automatically. Um, and the other thing is, is uh, something that I had is uh, the headphones icon is my podcasting focus mode. So that seems easy enough, but Actually, the headphones icon appears when you've got AirPods Max connected to your Mac. Yeah. And a number of times I clicked on the wrong thing because I was trying to find my focus mode and I couldn't, 
was really crazy. So what we've got is we've got the ability to actually have like the name of your focus mode appear in the menu bar as well, uh, which came entirely from me because I just kept getting confused and clicking the wrong darn icon. Um, and it turns out that that's a feature that uh, throughout uh, testing people have gone, actually, I really like this. It's really good to know which focus mode I'm actually in right now. So uh, yeah, that's uh, something that happened as part of that. And now now we have just like this little mini app that just helps you choose which focus, uh, which shortcuts you want in your focus mode. And it's per device. So I don't have to have the same shortcuts appear on my work Mac as I do on my personal Mac and so on and so forth. Yeah, like for instance, I am like I'm early in the process of adopting this, but like when I'm in podcasting mode, I have a shortcut that opens up all the appropriate tabs for the automator's podcast and, you know, the recording app. It, it's a kind of, a, I guess, a variation on bunch that, that I'm doing mm-hmm. through shortcuts. But it all just shows up when I when I trigger podcasting mode. But then when I leave podcasting mode and go to personal mode, uh, I get a different set. And uh, I feel like this is really good for, you know, what I like to call contextual computing. You know, getting your computer to switch gears for you as you do your different types of work and, you know, make it easier. Remove all the friction so you can get your work done. I, I really like this app, Rose. Thank you. It's It's something that... Uh, it, it took more time to develop than you'd think. It turns out that getting data out of shortcuts is kind of hard um, yeah, to do, um, but we've managed to do it. Um, and uh, app review, uh, uh, learn what a menu bar application is. Uh, you, you'd think they'd be familiar with that, but it turns out that every so often, uh, you know, the, you get the one person to app review that doesn't know what a menu bar application is. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we got there and it's out um, and we're, we're quite excited about that. So uh, we've got, we've got a, an update coming. Um, one of the things that we really want to implement if we can is adding the ability to trigger a shortcut when a focus mode starts. Because of course, shortcuts for Mac doesn't have automations. So we yeah. figured, well, maybe maybe we can just add that automation. Like, we're not going to go crazy on this stuff. But it feels like triggering a shortcut when your focus mode starts is something that we should support. That would be awesome because I really miss automation on the uh, on the Mac. I don't know. You know, this is the second year of uh, uh, shortcuts for the Mac. It's just kind of surprising to me that still hasn't made its way over. Yeah, I mean, it is there in in many ways. You know, like if you... Add a shortcut to your dock, okay? Yeah. Then you can remove it from your dock, but then it's in your personal applications folder. You can then run that when a calendar event starts, for example. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, you know, like having to use a calendar, which has to be local on your device as well as a side note, um, to, to do things like this. It, it just doesn't feel as easy and intuitive as open shortcuts on iOS. There is a tab called automations. I go to this tab and that's where the stuff is. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, fingers crossed we'll get there at some point with the uh, with the shortcuts team and uh, you know, they'll they'll get the opportunity to add that, but you know, as it is for the time being, um, you know, there's there's some other apps out there which are doing things like this and we we want to add support just for the focus mode side of things. Because uh, it turns out focus modes are really difficult to uh, to get the information about on macOS. I'm not surprised most people don't bother um, to do that, but uh, we, we've we've managed to do it, and uh, it it's consistently working, which is good. Because uh, the first method that we found to try and get the focus mode out, it just very occasionally just went. I don't know what's going on. I don't think I exist anymore, um, and uh, just sort of crashed everything that was vaguely touching it. So. Uh, had to go back to the drawing board a bit and, and figure out how to reliably get this information. And also when you remove a focus mode, um, you know, if it's one of the the 
default focus mode. So if you've added, say, a fitness focus mode based on, you know, the, the suggested one, and then you remove that, that's actually still in your list of focus modes in the background. Um, so having to work around little uh, flukes like that are, are cropping up. But uh, we've got there. We've got there now. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. With over 150 classes from a range of worldwide instructors in 11 different categories, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. You can learn the art of negotiating from Chris Voss, improve your culinary skills with Mexican cooking by Gabriela Camara, learn disruptive entrepreneurship from Richard Branson, or learn how to make compelling videos that go viral with Marquez Brownlee, also known as MKBHD. So I took the Hans Zimmer Composing Masterclass. And it was amazing. I have always had an interest in music from a very, very early age. And it was really interesting to see how he broke things down. And in one particular example, how he built the character of Captain Jack Sparrow in music form by watching the film and what he did from a technical as well as a creative perspective to put it all together. It was really interesting to hear about the deliberate use of semitones and the phases that the music goes through from heroic and romantic all the way to and I'll just break the rules because I can. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as an Automators listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash automators now. That's masterclass.com slash automators for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, I mean, a- Apple really doesn't make that data easy to access, and, and it's sh- shocking to me because it's, like the more hooks we get into focus modes, the more we're likely to use them. But I also want to talk about, cause you guys, in addition to doing focus cuts, which I think everybody should go check out. I mean, if you enjoyed our last episode about focus modes, this is a great pairing for that. You just get this app and then you, you assign the shortcuts you want. They're in the menu bar. Great, a great feature. And uh, uh, the, uh, but the other thing is you, you are taking over push cut and, Mm-hmm. We, th- that comes up on the show occasionally, so we want to disclose now that Rose is related to it. But also, Rose is related to it, right? That means it's going to get way better, and <laughs> and you're going to be putting a bunch of time into it. And I think, you know, just explain for the audience what Push Cut is, because it's such a unique app in the ecosystem of shortcuts. I, I, I'm not sure everybody appreciates what it can do. Yeah, so Push Cut is actually lots of different things in one app. So to start with, it has the ability to send you notifications, um, which you can get at specific times based on various triggers, and then that you can take actions from those notifications. So you can have a default action and then other optional actions. So for example, 20 minutes after I get home, uh, give me uh, a, a notification that when I tap on it will just open reminders. You know, that's that's a simple one to get started with. Um, or, um, you know, uh, when my phone sees this iBeacon, we talked about the iBeacons when Simon came on the show, they're little Bluetooth um, transmission devices, which basically go, hey, I'm a little location over here, um, which is more accurate than GPS. GPS, because it's satellites and they're God knows how how high up, um, you know, it can, it can wander a bit. You can be sat in the same place, but if you look at your GPS track, then it, you may have moved around. The idea of an iBeacon is it's super local. So when my phone sees this iBeacon, you know, do this thing, 
Um, and send me a notification, you know, maybe um, when I see an iBeacon that's really, really close to me because I put one in my living room, uh, give me a choice of, um, you know, running my uh, TV watching scene or my dinner scene, um, you know, for, for HomeKit because you can run shortcuts actions or you can open URLs or you can uh, run a HomeKit scene. But that's just the notification side of things. Um, the, the next part of Pushcut uh, is widgets because you can have custom widgets through uh, Pushcut. Uh, and so you've got a widget and then you've got different widget contents. And then you can use shortcuts automations to automatically say, okay, this widget is going to update to have this content. And you can provide input to that content. So you can have multiple inputs in a widget content and then have that update automatically. And it'll update on all of your devices at the same time. So, you know, if you want to, then you can take it a step further with the automation server, which is where you have an iOS device that's just sitting there all the time running pushcut in the automation server mode, and it will then run shortcuts. And it can run shortcuts automatically at certain times. It can run shortcuts when if this and that, Zapier, make, um, just tell it to based on information that happens or when you call an API yourself. And it can then automatically update your widgets for you. So I've got a couple of widgets that are based on upcoming calendar events. You know, I'm in the office once every three weeks on average. Um, so it goes through and it finds the next one of those days in my calendar and it puts a little countdown of that into my, uh, I have an, I have a special office day widget, which I use on uh, my phone in my work focus mode and it updates that. But also, you know, when I check my iPad, it's updated that same widget on my iPad as well, uh, which is very nice. And then you can specify, uh, you know, what you want to happen when you tap on that widget. You know, do you want it to run a shortcut? Do you want it to open a URL? Do you want it to open Pushcut? Um, and uh, we've recently added support for dynamically setting that as well so that you can say, hey, when I'm in this, uh, when I tap this widget, um, you know, uh, then I want it to open this URL. But when you update the widget content to something else, you can say, now I want it to run that shortcut instead. So you can really tie all of your automations into the things that you can see and interact with so that you don't have to do everything entirely automatically in the background. You can do things, you know, notification pops up. Oh, right. I'll tap on that in a minute when I'm done with this conversation. And then you can go and, you know, run the, run the thing as is appropriate for you. Yeah. And there's more, you know, you can also have it. Well, we talked about sending notifications, but you've also got a whole set of additional shortcut actions. Mm -hmm. And then so it adds actions to your shortcuts. And the the craziest part of this is you can turn a, a plugged-in device into an automation server, a plugged-in yeah. iOS device, which is something you've been doing for years. I played yeah. with it occasionally. I haven't got it running. But, I mean, this is an app that you have no worry about ever getting Sherlocked because this is taking shortcuts to, like, entirely new levels. And I can't mm -hmm. imagine Apple ever, like, going down these rabbit holes. But it's awesome. Yeah, it seems unlikely that Apple are going to do this themselves, um, but it is pretty fun to to be working on it. You know, I've been uh, massively updating the website recently, so I've been going through documenting every shortcut action that we have and so on. And what is the difference between them? What input do you give it? What output does it have? Um, and so on, so that, you know, people can actually look at this and, and understand, you know, what something does and how it works. Um, because, you know, Pushcut has got so many different facets to it. You know, is it a widgets app? Well, yes, 
But does it also send notifications to prompt you about uh, which HomeKit scene that you want to run? So when you're arriving home after dark, you can have a, a HomeKit automation, use that convert to shortcut um, action, and then do a get contents of URL. And you can paste the URL of a notification for push cut that you want to have triggered. Um, and so it will then notify you when you get home and that notification can then, you know, give you a choice of scenes or whatever it is. You know, it, it's, it's not just one thing, it's, it's many things. So we've been really working on uh, getting all of that up together so that everyone can see what it is and take advantage of it. Uh, I should mention, David, that there is uh, another secret feature hidden in the app, which I think a lot of people miss because it is kind of, you know, hidden a little bit. But there's a triggers tab inside a push cut and you can have local triggers but there's background triggers. So you can have like when you get to this location, just fire off this request to your automation server to automatically uh, do this or, um, you know, add, um, uh, open this, uh, contact this URL and do like an API call. So you can kind of, you can do this with um, shortcuts automations too, except you can't do a shortcuts automation automatically based on a location being reached. Like you, you have to uh, like it, you can't turn off us before running and you can do that with push cut. Um, nice. you know, there's limitations on it obviously, because, you know, we can't just take over your phone and make it start doing stuff without you touching it and interacting with it. That would break all of Apple's guidelines and everything that anybody wants out of iOS. That would just not be nice, but you can actually, you know, get, get things happening automatically based on you going somewhere, which is pretty nice. Um, you can so, also use these webhooks to get into keyboard maestro. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's like everything, I just love this way automation has become so bilingual. Everything talks to its, each other now using these common things like webhooks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things um, that I really like about the the triggers in, um, in Pushcut is um, the location triggers can have time limitations on them. Because uh, I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than, um, but, you know, for example, if there's something that I need uh, to get from a particular store, but it's only open... Uh, well, actually, my bank. My bank is a great example of this. My bank is open from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday to Friday, which is, guess what, when I have to work. So yeah. if I walk past my bank on Saturday and there's an errand to run at the bank and I flagged like my bank location in, say, OmniFocus, OmniFocus will be like, hey, you're near the bank. You know, here's here's your bank um, tag with, with the actions associated with it, which is great. And I, I like that. But it actually doesn't help me because the bank's closed. You can actually set a time limitation on location triggers in Pushcut so that it won't notify you after 5 p.m. about things when you're driving past work, you know, because you happen to drive past work um, uh, at those times. And so, you know, you can you can tie all of that in together to really customize your experience or you can just have it pop up every single time uh, you, uh, you uh, go past somewhere or, you know, a particular thing happens to trigger it. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's something where you can tell that uh, Pushcut has grown over time, and we've we've got some pretty good plans for the future. I'm not going to reveal anything uh, too crazy, uh, but uh, we are uh, improving uh, the widget support uh, uh, in the uh, release that's coming up right now. And uh, the other thing that we are doing right now, I'm just double checking what are, is in my release notes to make sure I don't say anything that I'm not supposed to be saying. Um, is uh, we are adding uh, thread support to notifications that will be coming in more places soon so that when you have a notification, uh, I'm sure you've seen this in messages, David, if I send you three messages in a row, they'll kind of like stack together sure. so that you, they're all from me. But if Daisy's sending you messages as well, Daisy's messages get stacked together. That's called threading. 
um, we're actually adding thread support to notifications. Like it's coming out in the API and the release that's coming uh, this month. And then we'll hopefully be adding that into shortcuts actions and so on uh, further down the line as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're really uh, getting excited about all the things that we can possibly do here. Yeah, one thing I would add is one thing Rose has done already is they've rebuilt the Pushcut website and it is much better. And if you've ever like been scratching your head about what to do with Pushcut, they've got great documentation now. They've got uh, examples of all these features we've been talking about. So go check it out. I mean, maybe this is time to get on board with Pushcut. Yes. And if you've got feature requests as well, um, you know, feel free to get in touch with us, office at pushcut.io um, or... Um, you know, there's a there's a thread on the Pushcut subreddit as well where you can post feature requests. And of course, uh, if you if you have feedback about Focus Cuts, uh, then uh, focuscuts at snailedit.dev is the email address for that. Or you can just tweet at me, tweet at snailedit. It's fine. We'll we'll it will make sure it all gets funneled into our feedback so that we can uh, add any improvements and feature requests that any of the uh, automators folks have uh, got for us. Don't worry, you'll all end up in a special queue. I promise. This episode of the Automators Podcast is brought to you by Electric. When leading your small business, unbury yourself from IT and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Just go to electric.ai automators. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with some other technical emergency, which you're well-equipped to deal with but maybe you don't have time for. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at, Plus, you've got a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. With your business, you're building your dreams. And doing that doesn't mean operating as your own IT person. We all have great skills. I mean, you're listening to the Automators podcast. You're good at this stuff. But you also have to understand the importance of delegating in order to focus on what's important with your business. I've definitely got caught in the trap of being my own IT person in the past, and it has never been good for me. You don't want to be the person doing that yourself because there's only one you. And to build your business, you need to be focused on your business. So if you find yourself an unwitting IT person, you need to go check out Electric today. And for Automator's listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash automators. Once again, that is electric.ai slash automators. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a qualifying meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the automators. Well, somewhat related to Pushcut is the idea of asynchronous automation. And um, I thought it'd be fun to talk about that today because it's a topic we've never really gone deep into. And I know you do a lot of it. Uh, so let's start with the definition. What is asynchronous automation? Yeah. So for me, there's a couple of different, um, ways of looking at asynchronous automation. Um, now asynchronous by definition means that things don't have to happen at the same time. So when I'm recording a podcast with you, David, that's synchronous communication. I talk and then you hear me and you, you talk back right away. 
But if I send you a message, then you can reply later when it's convenient for you. And so that's asynchronous. We're, you know, removing the synchronicity. Is it synchronicity? Either way, we're removing the sync out. We're taking the sync out of it and just making it happen when it's appropriate. So you can, um, you know, break up automation into chunks that happen. You know, this bit happens, you know, immediately when I get to this place um, or this focus mode starts. My phone does this bit. And then maybe it can drop something somewhere else where then when your Mac's next on, it'll pick it up and it'll just continue with the next bit. You know, it'll drop a file in a folder. Hazel will pick it up. Hazel's asynchronous. It'll just pick up whatever. Um, but there's also, um, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, asynchronous of like uh, something will just get put somewhere and get picked up on later entirely. Or there's two things happening at the same time, potentially, you know, things running in parallel. And a really good example of this is make.com, um, where what you can do is you can actually split an automation into multiple branches. Okay, so you've got your start trigger over on the left hand side. And then you've got, you know, something that you multiple things coming out of that so that you can have three things running at the same time and they run independently of one another. Okay, it might look like they're going along in sync, but that's because the the actions happen to take about the same amount of time to run. But it might also be that the first action on branch number one takes five minutes to run and branch number two finished in three seconds. And branch number three is somewhere in the middle where it's, you know, doing various calculations, waiting for this API to return information to it and so on and so forth. Um, And so, you know, there's a couple of different ways of looking at it. But, um, you know, being able to split up your automations because not everything has to happen immediately. And I think that's one of the things um, that that's for me is often a failing I have in my own personal automations. When I'm creating an automation, it, you know, I often end up going, right, well, it's going to do this and they'll do this and this and this and this. And I get very bogged down in like a certain like series of actions when actually realistically, uh, you could have just split things up into um, segments and it doesn't really matter what order they happen in. Um, you know, they just happen. Um, and so you can say, well, actually, you know what, I'm going to do uh, this bit first. I'll create the Dropbox folder first. Uh, and then I'm going to create a folder in notes, but it doesn't matter if you create the notes folder and then the Dropbox folder, unless what one of the things you need to do is put a note into the notes folder with a link to the Dropbox folder. That's when you then have a dependency. But even then, having the notes folder and the Dropbox folder being created, like the order of those doesn't matter. The only bit that matters is that the note is created after the Dropbox folder is created. So, you know, breaking things down to find out where the actual dependencies are so that you can then split stuff up can actually lead to much better automations. Yeah. And and the problem, the underlying problem of this, and the reason why I think this is increasingly relevant is the web. You know, so often our, our automations now rely on information from the internet and you don't rely on getting that information as quickly as you do when it's stored locally. And sometimes the internet works and sometimes it doesn't, or it's slow. And if you build an automation routine that relies on having specific information quickly, it breaks things. I mean, programmers are dealing with the exact same problem. And uh, I think building synchronicity in is the, is the way to go. Synchronicity is by the way, the word, when you were when you were struggling with that earlier, I I remembered the word because it was a police album when I was in high school. I'm like, well, was that an, the actual word? I looked it up, and actually, it is the word. So it is a police album. Do you know who the police are? Probably. Don't. I know who the police are. Okay, of right. course, well, I know who the police right. are, well, David. Who do you take pro- me for? Proper British lady, you would you should know. Um, but the uh, yeah, it was a police album, but it was also it's actually a proper word. So there you go, synchronicity. 
Yes. It's one of those things when you're talking, sometimes you start doubting what you're saying as you say, even though you like part of you is like, this is definitely right. Another part of you is like, I don't know, maybe it's wrong just in case. Um, So yeah, I'm glad to hear that the word synchronicity is right. And I think that the thing is, is a lot of our automations end up being built as really, really long chains and that can make them really fragile. You know, if you think of a paper chain, like the kind of thing where you you loop pieces of paper together um, and, you know, often we'll hang them up on like a Christmas tree or as as decorations around the holiday season, um, you know, those paper chains are actually quite fragile. And if one loop breaks, the whole chain falls apart, you know, like it's no longer linked together. But do these things actually have to be linked or do you just need, you know, individual little bits and then you just need to provide links in a few key places and the rest of it can actually be broken up into more simpler pieces. And this is, you know, where you can then really do, you know, the 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 best thing, which is take advantage of the fact that this bit can happen automatically on my iPhone. Um, and then, you know, my Mac's pretty much always on. So I'll try pinging, um, you know, my Mac to do this via Keyboard Maestro via the web. But if it doesn't respond, um, you know, then I'll, I'll drop a file into a folder. Um, and, you know, Dropbox will sync it over. And then when my Mac's next on, Keyboard Maestro can be watching that folder and use, you know, it can have two triggers on the same automation. And it can then pick that up and go, oh, okay, cool. Well, this this file's here, so I'm going to use that and take that and use that as actual input um, because you don't necessarily actually have to do things in a particular order. It's tempting to, and sometimes it makes more sense, but a lot of the time you can actually, you know, get a little crazy and, and, and you know, have zero order to things. Yeah. So I think the first place where you want to address this is web-based services. And, yeah. you know, the... Um, you were talking about make.com. I, I feel like these um, online services where you have them chain stuff together on the internet, they were early uh, people trying to solve this problem because yeah. they're by nature, they're all their services developed on web-based services and information and, you know, explain how they deal with it. You know, when you go through a service like make.com. Well, it really depends what you're actually using as the trigger for something like this, you know, what is actually causing this automation to happen? Because there's a couple of different ways that triggers can be handled. And Make is actually really good at this. So if I send it, um, if I use a mail webhook, okay, so um, webhooks usually would be like, you know, you open it, you call a particular URL, maybe you send it some data, uh, whatever. But they also have mail webhooks where you can send emails. If I send it an email, it'll actually hold on to that until it can process it. Which means that if my automation breaks, which happens every so often, it'll just sit on those um, in a pile. And then when I fix it, it'll say, hey, did you want to process all that stuff that uh, I had waiting there uh, because, you know, it was broken and now you fixed it? Um, and so and then you can say yes or you can say no. Other things may be sort of fire and forget where it'll go like, hey, like, go catch this thing. And then it won't even look to see, like, it lobs a ball and then it just turns and it's gone. It, it's not even checking to see if the ball went in the right direction, really. It, like, it knows where it's sending it, so it does that, but it doesn't check whether or not it landed. So, you know, depending on what the service is and how it does things, like, it may be something that will collect, you know, what it's received, um, or it may be something that will, um, you know, just drop it on the floor if it, it can't deal with it right then. The other third option is not receiving data in that sense, but a, I'm going to go and fetch data on a regular basis. 
Um, and so, you know, something like an RSS feed as a trigger is a good example of this because usually an RSS feed doesn't have a way of going, hey, new thing over here. It'll be a, oh, you've checked me. Here's data. Like you figure out what's new for you because you know what the person read and didn't read before, probably, hopefully. Um, and so something like Zapier or Make will go and check an RSS feed probably every 15 minutes or so and find the new, um, you know, episodes or releases or blog posts or whatever it is in that and then run the trigger based on that. And then you can usually say, hey, anything that uh, anything that it was posted within the last X period of time is new. Um, and uh, it'll probably store an ID of a post or similar as well so that it can handle that. So, you know, is it is it, um, you know, collecting the things and then processing them as it can? So it might stack things up using maybe first in, first out. Um, so, you know, like if I if I get six things, then I'll process thing number one, then number two, then number three, then number four. Um, or is it um, like things are being thrown at me and I'll do my absolute best to catch them. But if something goes wrong, I'm going to drop it on the floor or I'm going to go look for the thing. Um, and so that's that's like the three different ways that those handle the triggers. And then when it comes to the actual automation, it's kind of the same thing. You know, are they like they'll they'll talk to a thing and if it says, hey, everything's great, then it'll continue. And if it goes, I don't know, something's wrong, then it's probably actually, you know, Zapier if this and that make all stop um, unless you explicitly say continue anyway if there's an error. Keyboard Master is the same. If you don't say just continue regardless of an error, it'll stop at the point where it runs into a problem and just go, I can't deal with that. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's uh, basically the three different uh, ways that those web services work. And the thing to remember if you're an automator and you're using these services is you need to know uh, what which one of those three your automation is running on. Because in general, the problem of asynchronous communication or data streams is solved by these services. They they wait for you. You don't have to build it into your automation like you would on a Mac-based automation, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But the um, they take care of that for you. But the breakpoints depend on which model you're in. And if like if you've got one that is a fire-and-forget style web automation, and things stop working, you'll know, well, it's it's at make.com. You know, there, there's a problem going on there because that is a fire and forget and it's forgetting and it's not firing. So, okay, I can go fix that. But you need to, you need to be aware of that in order to mm -hmm. be able to, you know, go and keep your automation systems running. Exactly. And, it, and it's really useful not just to know, like, what is this part doing? But when you're tying it into your own solutions, how are you building that tie-in? So, for example, looking at Keyboard Maestro, you could have uh, Keyboard Maestro integrated into a web automation via a URL. So it could be a, a, the web server. You know, that that's something that you can do. Um, but if your Mac's not on, what's going to happen? And you might say, well, I've got an always on Mac. Well, actually, do you need an always on Mac? Or can you uh, actually, uh, you know, go, mm, actually, maybe I can just have these things run like when my Mac turns on. And my Mac's on most of the time anyway, so that's fine. Um, uh, then maybe the web server URL isn't the best option for you. Um, maybe it's drop a file in a folder and Keyboard Maestro will pick that up. And if you drop, say, a JSON file in a folder, then it can pick that up and it can read that information and use that as all of the variables that it needs to continue with the next part, um, which, you know, is, is another way of doing it. Um, but, you know, there there are different ways that you can trigger things like you can also have um you know keyboard maestro just do a a thing of hey so uh when i log in 
uh, then go off and check this thing. Or when I activate this application, I'm going to go check like this URL and see if there's something there that needs to be handled. You know, I'm going to check to see if this Airtable uh, view has any records in it that need processing, for example. That would be something that you could do and you can, you know, go fetch from that on a periodic basis. Um, but you, you know, you can also, uh, you know, belt and braces, belt and suspenders, um, where you can say, hey, I'm going to try uh, firing this thing off, but I'm, I'm going to drop a file into a folder as well. And, you know, your automation can then go, hey, you know, if my trigger was a web URL, um, then, you know, at the end of it, I should also look for a file with this file name. And I'm, I'll just delete that. Um, but uh, or, you know, or whatever it is, you know, you can handle it in multiple ways. But it's it's certainly worth looking at that and going, does everything have to happen entirely automatically? Or actually, is it OK sending myself a notification to like finish this bit off manually by running this particular shortcut where I have to choose between, you know, like these three options uh, of things because it really depends on me and my mood, for example. This episode of Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you've got access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. When you're hiring somebody, it's kind of a bit of a gamble. Are they going to be a good fit for your team from a technical and from a social perspective? And it can really help to see how they interact with other professionals on LinkedIn as part of that. And of course, making sure that they actually see your job posting is the most critical thing. And it's so quick to create a free job post to LinkedIn. It just takes minutes. So you just add your job and the purple hiring hashtag to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And simple tools like screening questions can make it really easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize those who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's it. This means that you can be sure to finish the year strong with the right team member on board. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So David, do you want to talk about the Mac? Of course. I mean, I love the Mr. Mac. Mr. Max Sparky. Of course, I love the Mac. And and I feel like this is an area where the internet isn't solving the problem for you. As, as you know, we increasingly make more complex automations on the Mac. Uh, this is a problem where asynchronous automation can really bite you because uh, you don't see it coming. But um, let's get some examples first. You know, and uh, the first entry in our outline, my favorite asynchronous automation app, Hazel. Yeah, Hazel's great. It just sits there. It waits. Uh, and then a file gets dropped in. But that file might be coming from your scanner. It might come from something that you've made and created. Um, or it might have been synced in via Dropbox. But that file was actually created three hours ago while you were, you know, on a flight um, and you didn't have Wi-Fi. But now it's come in and, and your Mac's picked it up and gone, whoa, I'm going to handle this now um and deal with it so you know hazel itself is you know dealing with things you know synchronously when it when it gets it is going whoop here's a thing i'm gonna go handle that but the actual file itself that it deals with that that's not synchronous that's you know that's coming in asynchronously from wherever and it's amazing what hazel can do with that um you know because hazel can be used as a trigger to do other things like run a shortcut or whatever um and you don't even actually have to use the file 
It's a secret I think some people didn't know, David. You can you can create fake files and use Hazel to trigger other stuff with it. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty cool. All like right. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but it's certainly a way to get things done. And then when that file's there, you know, you deal with it and you delete it and that's it. Done. Okay. I want to get back to that in a minute, but let's just kind of get to the basics. I mean, the thing that makes Hazel particularly awesome is the asynchronicity. I'm sorry, asynchronicity. There we go. How's that? Um, because, <laughs> uh, you know, you create the rule and we could write scripts to say, take full, you know, take files that have this word in them and put them into this folder. But it's the trigger, the nature of the asynchronous trigger that makes Hazel kind of awesome. Like you said, it can apply to existing files, but it also will apply to a file that gets created five years from now. So long as it's sitting on this Mac and it's running, it's just there forever. And uh, I love that. Um, but talk about, you, you teased us for a minute. So uh, using the file creation process as a trigger in Hazel, that's something we've kind of mentioned in the past, but let's go down that rabbit hole for a minute. Well, I mean, just looking at it this way, okay, if you want something to happen on your Mac when you enter a focus mode, okay, and assuming that we've not installed a, a, a created an update to focus cuts that can handle this in, in the meantime, um, you know, there's not a lot of ways to get that right now to like hook into a focus mode becoming active on your Mac. But your iPhone is aware of your focus modes yeah. and your iPhone has automations. So what your iPhone can do is it can create a file and stick it in a folder. It could be an iCloud folder. It could be a OneDrive folder. It could be a Dropbox folder, whichever. And it can then stick a file in the folder. And then when that file appears on your Mac, he's looking go, oh, I got that. And I am going to delete that file and run this shortcut. Yep. And that's, you know, and that's what it does. And so you could have a folder called like a focus mode automations, for example. And then you could just, um, you know, have, uh, you know, if the file name equals personal, then do this. If the file name is uh, fitness, do that, whatever it is, you know, um, the world is your oyster. Um, and you just, you know, create an empty text file. Like it doesn't have to be crazy. Um, you know, if you wanted to, you could um, pull like calendar events in and dump it into a JSON file and have uh, shortcuts process that file and actually read information out. But there's absolutely no need to do that. You can just use Hazel as a fake file for triggering things. Now, I'd argue if you're just using it to trigger something, maybe Keyboard Maestro is the right thing to do there. Like, you know, Keyboard Maestro can also watch a folder. But Hazel is, you know, a great tool that many of you already have, and I certainly have. Um, and it's just really nice to be able to just, you know, queue things up and have it just run automatically and, you know, tidy up after itself as it goes. Yeah, it's just all it's doing is looking at a folder and then looking. It has the trigger command to look at the contents of a file. And if the content includes the word, you know, work focus or whatever, then do everything. And, you know, this gets back to this, this, you know, this great accumulation of automation on the Mac that now Hazel can run a shortcut, which gives you a ton of options. It can trigger an Apple script. It can trigger a keyboard master script. So you can do virtually anything on your Mac just by sticking a text file in a folder somewhere on Dropbox that has a word in it. And you just need to keep that in your head. <laughs> you know, that's the only way. If you want to make something happen on your Mac and you're having trouble triggering it, um, a keyboard master or Hazel, just look at a file and then you're off to the races. But that is yeah. very much asynchronous automation and an example of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we mentioned keyboard maestro there. You know, keyboard maestro has... Um, like the, the idea there's, uh, the public web entry and there's the remote web trigger. Um, and I'm going to link to the, the documentation for both of those, um, because they, they, they are 
slightly different as to how they work. So um, it, it's worth checking that out just so that you you know what it is. Um, but you know you can have that. But if your Mac's not on, you know, is that important? You know, it, so th- this is where knowing whether or not your automation has to happen right then and there is really useful because if your automation is only relevant if it happens at the moment that the trigger is called then you actually want something that's just going to drop it on the floor if it can't deal with it okay so for example pushcut if your automation server is not online and you send pushcut server a request it's just gonna get sorry like i tried but you didn't answer um and that's really useful when you want something that's just going to be like hey like you know deal with this thing for me right now but dealing with this for me in, in 15 minutes is too late. Don't don't bother about it then. It, it'll be too late to handle it. But a lot of the time, you actually want something that's just like, hey, so this series of events has happened, meaning that this setup is ready. And now I just need you to go do this bit of it. You know, like maybe these folders got created in Dropbox and, you know, this, this uh, I don't know, something got created in Evernote if you're using Evernote or similar. And now I need you to, you know, run this Apple script on my Mac. Well, it doesn't have to happen right now. So as well as using, you know, your your web triggers, you can then use the folder trigger. But you can also have, um, you know, other triggers, um, you know, like I mentioned before, the login trigger. But Keyboard Maestro just also has a periodic trigger where on a regular basis, it can just go look for a thing um, and see whether or not it's there. You know, that's really ideal for, you know, I've put something into an Airtable base. And I just want Keyboard Maestro to check if there's any records in the Airtable base. And if there are records, I just wanted to process them for me. And then they'll disappear from, from that view, for example. Um, you know, that that's really useful so that you can just have that happen. And so you can have like either, you know, a trigger for something arriving, kick it off, or you can have it go check. And that's what I really like um, about, uh, you know, all of the options that we have available. You know, you get the best of all the worlds. Yeah, and again, the the challenge here is just understanding the limitations of your chosen automation. Like, you need to know how they break in relation to these problems and build around it. I mean, I I think Rose is a great example of taking advantage of both, you know, of these options and understanding when one makes more sense than the other. Um, I was thinking about other examples of asynchronous automation that we're doing on our Macs right now. And... um, and uh, email rules. I mean, that that's a natural. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You know, I have a number of email rules that happen when email lands in my Mac mailbox. Okay. I also have email rules that happen when my email lands in my Fastmail inbox, but yeah. that's running synchronously. The second that the email hits Fastmail, it's dealt with, which means that whether I look at it on my phone or my Mac, whatever, it's already handled. But the things that I run on my Mac are things which are less time sensitive and or require my Mac to do a certain part of it. Um, And what I really like about mail rules is you can actually have more than the mail rules that just run when the Mac, when Mac, Mac mail receives mail, right? You can actually have mail rules. And I've got a number of these, David, I'm sure you do too, which go, hey, so if I've got emails from like this thing that was received over a day ago, delete it. Well, that's never going to run when an email arrives because when an email arrives, it won't have arrived more than a day ago, will it? Yeah. Um, you know, or it's very unlikely. Perhaps if you've had your Mac shut down and you've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, um, you know, then, then you know, that would um, probably kick in. But what it means I can do is at the end of the day, I can just select all the mail in my inbox and apply mail rules and they'll just disappear. Um, or I can have Keyboard Maestro activate mail 
select all the mails in the inbox and then trigger the menu for, you know, and just apply mail rules, please. Thank you. Um, which is something that I do um, as a, a sneaky way to automate the the the, the nature of that. But it's uh, kind of uh, amazing what you can do with one of those because you can, you know, get super nerdy if you want to. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, what else? Where, where are we also seeing asynchronous automation on our Macs? Well, shortcuts, David. Shortcuts yeah. is asynchronous. It doesn't have an automation. It doesn't have a way to run. You have to run it manually yeah. um, through something. So, you know, you click a shortcut that's asynchronous. It'll pick up a thing, perhaps. It'll send something else somewhere else. But those don't have to be synchronous. So, you know, if you're doing it manually, um, then it's almost certainly asynchronous. You know, it might be that you tap button A and then you tap button B. So, you know, it feels like, you know, everything's running together. But there's nothing to stop you tapping button A. Um, and then going off for three hours, coming back and tapping button B, going and taking a nap, coming back and seeing whether or not it did the thing, and then going, eh, okay, yep, that's fine. Or you could just tap A and then B. You know, it's up to you. How many of your automations require a tap versus, you know, just fire automatically? I mean, it depends on how you define require a tap. Like, and this sounds really silly, but like technically when I start recording, um, uh, for example, automators, iOS today, nested folders, I tap uh, actually a bunch. Um, I activate a bunch. And that will fire off a number of different things, which cause various different automations to happen. You know, when I started recording automators today, it activated my podcast focus mode. It um, did various things. And it popped up a keyboard maestro um, input box, which said, hey, what's the episode number? Um, and that keyboard maestro input box just waited for me to finish typing in the episode number, which happened a few minutes later, um, and hit OK. And then it it saved it in the right place so that it could use that later when I need to when it needs to rename the episode numbers. Um, but you know, I so technically there's a tap involved, but like five or six different things happen based on that one tap. So I don't know if technically that counts as manual or automatic or a combination of both. Well, and I, I'm glad you said that because the reason I asked the question is I think a lot of people get hung up on that automation stuff. Like, and we've even talked on the show like oh, we're going to make our podcast automation trigger when it sees a calendar event that says automators in it. And then there is no tap. It just happens. But I think that people get too hung up on that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having a tap to get, you know, there's 12 things you need to do to do this work project, right? And there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I'm going to do a single tap and then it's going to open the web pages and create the Word document and do all, you know, all the stuff that needs to be done in order for me to get into this mode or, or do this type of work. And people feel like they're doing it wrong because they have to tap. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I really want to just emphasize that. And if you want to yeah. automate it so it happens automatically, that's great. But you know what? Sometimes when you do those, when you get super clever with your automation, you'll be doing something entirely different on your computer. And suddenly your computer goes into that mode, opens web pages, and creates Word documents right on top of what you were focused on. Yeah, or worse, it closes all of your open windows so that, you know, like the thing that you were using is just disappeared from in front of you. Um, yeah, not fun. And it's such a burden to get that working right and take so much debugging sometimes that you feel like it's not worth it. Where if you had just done the simple part, you know, create a shortcut that opens three browser tabs in Safari, um, you know, turns on a focus mode, and opens Microsoft Word, you could create that in all of 10 minutes and 
you know, and attach it to Rose's app. So when you're in the focus mode, it shows up in the menu bar and you click it once and then you're just done. You spent 10 minutes on it and it's an automation that starts serving you immediately. I, I feel like people, it's okay, guys. You know, you don't need to go to level 10 with everything you automate. Exactly. And, you know, in many ways, it's better to do something like that. And you might be thinking, okay, but that's fine. But now I've got like seven shortcuts that I need to run with a tap. Um, or, you know, I've got seven keyboard maestro macros. Um, I'm going to let everyone in on a really big secret. You can create a single keyboard maestro macro or a single shortcut or whatever it is that will then run all of those other ones for you. So you can combine that into one tap for the places where it makes sense. So you can have a single button on your stream deck, which is for run my work focus mode automations. And you can have a single shortcut show up in your focus cuts menu bar for run my work focus mode automation setup. Um, And then, you know, you can have that there and then you click it once and it runs those seven or eight different things or however many it is that you need. But you also, you know, have the ability to just say, hey, like, actually, you know, I just want to like test this a little bit of it out and I'm going to do that bit. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, if you uh, activate your work focus mode, Keyboard Maestro maybe does get a prompt to say, hey, do you want to do this? But instead of having your your automation run entirely automatically, it'll actually just pop up a thing and go, hey, do you want to do this? Like I could automate the number of the automator's episode every time we start recording. Yeah, I could just add one to the previous number. But there's a number of good reasons why I don't do that. First of all, I didn't do it to start with because I wanted to make sure it was right. And secondly, very occasionally, we record episodes out of order. Oh, <gasps> dun, 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 secrets from behind the automators, David. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, or, or, you know, if something happened and I, um, you know, if I was really ill and I missed an episode or something and you got somebody to stand in for me, um, which I know you would, David, because you're awesome like that, um, you know, then I could jump an episode without having to run that automation twice. But, you know, the automation that sets the episode number is something I can also run independently. So when today I typoed when entering the episode number, so we were recording episode 11, David. Whoops. <laughs> that, was, right. that, 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 that was 102 episodes ago. We're, we've come a long way since then. Um, you know, I, I could just run that little bit again and go, yeah, yeah so I typoed here. Uh, I'm just going to type, do that bit again. And that was it. Simple, yeah. easy. Um, and it allows you to really, you know, take advantage of being able to break things down all the way. And, you know, when mistakes happen, because, you know, nobody's perfect, um, even with automation, mistakes can happen. Um, sometimes mistakes happen because of automation, but that's, you know, that that's life. Uh, you know, um, you can you can just go back and easily handle that. Um, and when something's broken, you know, maybe an app has updated um, or an app hasn't updated, but you've updated something and there's a part that's broken, you can disable the bit that doesn't work. And you can have everything else run. And, you know, because it's popping up and going, hey, do you want to run? You'll go, oh, right, that's broken. That's my prompt. I need to write down that I need to fix that. I'm going to put that into my task management system and, you know, and just handle it so that you're you're good to go. And, you know, you don't have stuff randomly taking over your screen and rearranging all of your apps when you accidentally hit that particular, you know, thing um, in, in that app. Or, you know, it's Tuesdays at 11 a.m., but this Tuesday at 11 a.m., you don't actually have that meeting. So, you know, it, it, it started doing the thing, even though you didn't need it to, it just prompted you to do it. And you said, no, not today. We're good. I mean, you talked about uh, triggering automation, you know, in ways on your Mac and keyboard maestro has a great feature called the conflict palette. And that means if you have two keyboard maestro scripts that have the same uh, shortcut trigger, 
it just puts them both on and then it highlights the first letter that's different. If one is called Rose and one's called David and you type R, then it's going to go to Rose. Yeah. And I have um, very intentionally taken advantage of that. So anything that I make that is related to Max Sparky has, in addition to other triggers, uh, control option command M. And anything mm-hmm. that is related to my personal life, you know, go to the bank website or whatever, it has a shortcut control option command P. And then, so anytime I type one of those two letters, I get a massive conflict palette list, but because they index by letter and the, and the list shrinks down. Like if there are two things that start with an R and I type R, then the list shrinks down to two. And then after a while, your fingers just remember what the extra keys are you push. But it's a, it's a great way to make lots of triggers without having to remember them. And you yes. could argue that I could be a better automator and make that so I don't even have to hit the, you know, magic command M button to like make these things happen. But uh, it's a great way when I'm working out automations, I don't have to like fiddle with triggers. I just add it to the conflict palette. And a lot of times mm-hmm. they, they never progress beyond that because I get so used to it. Like I know that if I want to open up all the tabs for the Max Sparky labs when I need to update them with new content. I just type control option command M and it opens a conflict pack. And if I type L M space, it opens all the tabs and does everything I need. And I'm not even sure why that is, but the way it lines up, that's what happens. And nice. my fingers have memorized that now. So that is an automation. And, and I, I guess just my point being uh, with asynchronicity, but also just with the simplicity of triggers, the stuff, you don't need to make this stuff overly complex. Exactly. Having a little bit of the person needs to pick this up and take it to the next step so that, you know, that the the next part of the flow can continue can actually be a really, really good thing. You know, I don't use the conflict uh, palette uh, that much in Keyboard Maestro, David. I, I probably should use the palettes more. I feel like I'm not getting enough benefit out of them. But I've been using Stephen Millard, um, who's who's been on the show before. Um, he's got uh, some great Alfred workflows including one for Keyboard Maestro. So you can get all of your Keyboard Maestro macros into um, Alfred. Love that. So good. Uh, He's got got a number of Alfred workflows, which I'll I'll make sure that people get the link to. Because, you know, sometimes I just want a thing to pop up and go, hey, you need to do the thing, and then I will do the thing. And, you know, it could be that I click on a notification to have the thing run. um, And, you know, it could be providing input. That's one of the ways I I use Pushcut to circle back to the top of the show. Um, But, Sometimes it's also just a, hey, a thing has happened and like you should go do the other thing. But, you know, for example, a pull request happens at work. So somebody's written some code and they're asking um, other developers to go and look at it and say, OK, this is good. You can you can put that into the main uh, piece of code or uh, there's maybe a, a problem there. When that happens, I have a little pop up saying, hey, you know, like go, go review this person's code. But it comes in as a silent notification. And when I click it, it opens the URL like that's it. Um, and I don't want that automatically opening up that URL every time Sony creates a pull request. Because you know what? Some days it feels like all that happens is like a pull request every five minutes. And I wouldn't actually get any of my, you know, the rest of my job done. Like part of my job is reviewing other people's code. Most of my job is writing code for other people to review. I need to actually time have time to write it. So having something just pop up all the time going, hey, go review the thing, go review the thing, go review the thing. That's not going to help me do my job. Um, but you know, having something pop up so I can just click on it and go, yep. And there we go. I can, I can see this and, and go straight to it. That works for me. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, 
quite nice to have, you know, th those options for just like, hey, this thing's going to be here. And when I click on this, this automation happens, which enables that bit there. But if I don't click on it, then nothing happens. Or if, you know, my Mac isn't on right now, it's okay. It'll get picked up later and it'll get handled because yes, I need, you know, this particular folder template with these, you know, files and stuff in there on my Mac. But if my Mac's not on, then I don't need those files just yet. It's okay. It can wait until the next time my Mac's on. This episode of Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to anything you do every day can just sound like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. Sometimes you do just need to be able to get to something that's only available when you're in another country, or, you know, just make sure that that really dodgy Wi-Fi connection is potentially a little bit safer than it should be and, you know, actually avoids all of those horrible blocking things that things like doctor's offices always throw up. Well, with a VPN, you can do that. And with ExpressVPN, it's really easy to set it up. And, you know, I've set it up for my parents and it's working great for them too. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it is blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer, and you can stream HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, tap one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure, your taste is encrypted, and you can speak for your location so you've got access to content available outside your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash automators and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash automators to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. expressvpn.com slash automators. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. We've been talking about the Mac and the web. But let's talk about iPhone and iPad. Um, a lot of us are doing automation there. Um, where do you see asynchronicity in your automation on those devices? Uh, well, anything that doesn't have ask before running as a toggle I can turn off is asynchronous because it's going to pop up and go, hey, yeah. you got an email from David Sparks. Would you like yeah. to run your shortcuts automation? And I have to go and tap, yes, please. I want to run the automation. Thank you very much. Um, you know, and it's also limited in what it can do there. Um, but, you know, also, you know, Pushcut is a great example of this. I have it pop up and ask me, hey, do you want to, you know, run this scene or that scene? Do you want to run this shortcut or um, do you want to, um, you know, run that shortcut? Uh, are usually the options, it'll be like run this shortcut to have this thing update or run that shortcut to have this thing removed from the list of things that need to be handled. Um you know, as as those options, but it's um, you know it it can be really you know useful to have that sort of stuff pop in together so that you you know when widget pack updates with a widget, um, you know I can I can tap on on that one and it'll run this shortcut. Um, you know when push cut updates that widget, it'll run that shortcut. Whatever um, when I tap on it, but it won't do anything until I tap on it, and that can be you know quite nice for just a hey, here's a thing, get to me when you can, please. Um, because I feel like a part of the the thing that we have to deal with with computing now, and automation can help with this, but it can also be unhelpful to an extent, is everything wants our attention and it wants our attention right here and right now. Um, and sometimes you you don't need that, right? Um, you, you just want to, you know, keep going um, and focusing on what you're focusing on and then come back to the thing that's going, hey, me over here, me, 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 me. 
Like that can actually yeah. wait five minutes until you get to in, it. In fact, I'd modify that say, usually you don't need that. <laughs> I mean, it's very rare that you do need it to grab your attention right in the middle. Um, exactly. What, where is, do you think the problem with asynchronicity and automation? I mean, that how does this create potholes for people who want to create automation and what are the things we should be looking out for as we're building automation to account for this? Yeah, I think the problem, uh, like this happens much more easily if you're coming from a everything is in a very long line and it's all linked together and this bit happens and this bit happens and this bit happens and this bit happens. It's very easy when you start breaking things up to not be aware of the links that are actually there between the chunks of your automation and therefore to not have a piece of data that you need. Or to go, yeah, it's fine. Like this bit can just run and then realize that actually it needed there to be a, a, it needed a folder in Dropbox to already exist. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it can get you in a bit of trouble occasionally, especially when you start breaking things down and it turns out that you can't break that down there. But, um, you know, you can also work around things like this by just storing a little bit of information to say, hey, I went and I did this thing. Like this thing's already been done. And so when it checks to see whether or not it should be doing a thing, it can say, hey, like, is there a thing for me to do? And am I okay to go ahead and do it right now? And if it's not okay to go ahead and do it, like, you know, you can handle that in one of two ways. Either you can kick off the thing that's going to go do the bit that needs doing first, um, potentially, or you can, um, you know, just not do anything. You can just say, okay, I'm going to stop. Like, that's it. I'm going to wait. I'm, maybe I'm going to tell you that I can't do this thing right now. Maybe I'm not going to tell you that I can't do this thing right now. Maybe I'm going to log that I tried to do this thing. And when I hit five attempts of doing this thing and I couldn't do it, I'm then going to pop up and go, hey, I've tried to do this five times now and I just can't do this. Like this bit is missing. Like I need help. Um, you know, and it, it can certainly be uh, slightly problematic sometimes if you're waiting on something, um, you know, and, and that information's not there. But this is also a, quite a good way to work around a, like you're building an automation based on somebody else delivering a thing. And then you can actually, you know, think about it as, well, I'm going to build it based on when that bit happens, then it's going to go and do this bit um, so that, you know, you're not having to put somebody on your waiting on list in your task manager and then follow up with them on a periodic basis quite as much. You know, you'll still want to follow up with them if something doesn't happen. But when something happens, like your system just automatically sits there, it's waiting and it just launches in without you, you know, going and manually doing the thing. And it'll do everything up to the point it can and then throw something on your task list for you to finish off the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think it's just something we need to be aware of. Uh, it's a way to find yourself in trouble, but also it's kind of delightful. I mean, isn't that it, some of the best parts of automation is when things are asynchronous and they still happen? Like you're in bed and your computers are doing work for you. I mean, who doesn't yeah. love that, right? Yeah, I mean, what I really love in the morning is because I put my Mac Studio to sleep at night. Okay, I don't have an always on Mac anymore, David. Okay. Um, this is something I, I, you know, I've experimented with on and off. And I have a Mac Mini here. Uh, I could burn it as an always on computer. I'm currently not doing that for various reasons. But, you know, it's something that I've experimented with. And I've come to the conclusion that I don't need that. So what I do in the morning now is I pop into my office, um, you know, as I'm, I'm grabbing breakfast and I'll, I will just wake up my Mac studio and go, you know, like, hey, here you go. Here's the password, um, you know, have at it and it'll just pick up anything that needs to be handled and deal with it. And usually there's like a couple of things, but every so often I'll pop back in here. It'll go, oh, by the way, like, hey, this guest uploaded their audio last night um, and, you know, I've just renamed it and put it in the folder for you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. 
Like, I love that. Like, you've moved that into the right episode photo for me because when we recorded the episode, remember, I set the episode number. So that then when I finished the recording, so that's the first part of that automation. You know, I set the episode number. And then the next part of the automation is we record. But when we finish the recording, Keyboard Maestro is watching the folder for the files and it picks it up and it it renames it and sticks it in the folder with the right name. But then if a guest uploads their audio or, you know, I, I record the ads, then it'll grab those and pop those in there as well. And yes, these are all mini automations, they're synchronous automations, but the whole big thing, well, that's just waiting on random bits to happen here and there. And it doesn't matter what order things happen in, uh, as long as, you know, all the information's there so it can take advantage of it. And it's really nice coming in in the morning, you know, so I'll do that and I'll wander off, have breakfast, come back, switch over to my my work Mac and glance over at my personal Mac and go, whoa, you did a lot of stuff this morning, didn't you? Thanks. Um, you know, and <laughs> nice it's, job, it's, it's just Mac. nice. See- yeah, yeah it's, it's just really nice seeing that, you know, it'll yeah. be like, hey, I did this thing and that thing and the other thing. And by the way, all of these things have been done, too. And it's like, cool. Awesome. Now I just need to like hook you into OmniFocus so that you can actually like do all the things for me. And if you could really, you know, if you can run to the store and pick up some lemons as well, that'd be great. Um, but I, the, my Mac Studio has unfortunately not got likes yet. Um, I need to work on that somehow. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I'll solve that problem in no time. The future we are waiting for. Either way, I <laughs> uh, uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about asynchronous automation. I think it's a thing we need to be aware of. And we've had a lot of fun talking today about some of the, the ways it's applied on various platforms. We are the Automators Podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. You can find our forums over at talk.automators.fm. I have, by the way, Rose, just recently had an automation question and searched it and found the answer in our forums. I love it when that happens. It happens to me so often. It's it's almost like every other day when I'm, I'm Googling something related to shortcuts or Keyboard Maestro. And so Keyboard Maestro, this has got its own forum as well, which has got lots of great stuff in there. But a lot yeah. of the time I Google something and the automators forum pops up. And uh, it just gives me a great feeling because there's so many awesome people there doing amazing things. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and we've got uh, sponsors today we want to thank. That's Masterclass, Electric, and LinkedIn Jobs. Thank you for all the support. Please go check out our sponsors. It helps us keep the lights on here. Uh, We are the Automators Podcast, like I said, today on Automators Max. We're going to be talking about something I've been dealing with lately is task automation and comparing OmniFocus and the Apple Reminders app. I've been on a little journey. I want to talk about it. We'll be doing that later today. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, folks.